Hey everyone, I am super, super, super excited today to have with us another guest on Founder Stories. Today we have the honor to host our dear friend Gareth Jones. Gareth is the CEO of a phenomenal company called Headstart.io. But before we even get into Headstart, today we're going to focus on Gareth himself. Gareth, who is someone I've shortly got to, got to know, is someone that wears his heart on his sleeves. And if you Google his name, you'll see everything that comes associated together with Garrett is all about human beings are a company's biggest asset and human beings, people being human is personal. Garrett's motto is all about showing up as the most authentic self. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Garrett all about who he is, how he came to where he is now and the lessons learned along the way so we could apply that to our own lives too. So Garrett, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, welcome. Pleased to be here. Any opportunity to chat, that's my pleasure. You know, Gareth, I got to know you recently. We had a previous conversation before this, and we had a conversation about, the, you know, today, which I'm super excited about, that more people are going to be able to tap into. You know, when I spoke to you the first time, you know, I got so inspired, and I wish we recorded that conversation, you know, <laughs> that you know, more people could hear what the wisdom you have to say and everything. But, like, you know, before we get into all the wisdom you have now, you know, mm -hmm. in your young age, um, and everything you've been through, everything has a backstory and a starting point. So why don't you tell us back to your backstory, your first starting with where are you from and what was your upbringing like? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's key, the backstory, I think, because it shapes, you know, what happens in your childhood, I guess, shapes the sort of person you are. Um, so, yeah, I was an, an, an unremarkable, <clears throat> excuse me, backstory for me. And my father was an engineer, a sort of consulting engineer, my mum. Um, was a mum who, who generally stayed at home but worked in various different times. I was born in Ireland actually because my parents moved over there for my dad's work for a while. So I have the opportunity to have two passports which is quite handy given the um, Brexit situation over in Europe. Mm -hmm. But we moved very quickly to the Midlands and um, a market town called Market Mo uh, Melton Mowbray and my parents actually ran, took the tenancy and ran the local pub like the bar, the main bar in town. So my dad would work during the day, my mum would run the pub during the day, and then in the evening they would both run the pub. And it was a very, my memories of the place being incredibly busy and noisy. And, you know, it was, I guess it was a, <clears throat> those were the late sixties. You can imagine what it was like in there. Um, so they were, and, and they were, they were kind of great parents, but they were very busy. So, um, you know, me and my brother and the world was a very different place then. Um, you know, I, I would at the weekends and evenings, you know, particularly in the summer, you know, I get up in the morning, whatever time it was and, and go out for the day, come back, get something to eat and go out again. And that's when, you know, we left that town when I was six. So it wasn't unusual for me and my brother, who was 18 months older than me, to be walking on our own, to be out in town on our own at the ages of three, four and five. Just incredibly different environment. And, I, you know, I'm very grateful for that um, uh, society would have a different view on that now you know kids that age being out on their own but so and that was kind of you know that was just my childhood in that those early years but we i suppose one of the defining things for me in my early years was was moving um so we moved when i was five or six and uh to a, only seven miles away to a small village so from a big town to a small village and it may have well have been 700 miles because you know, those are the days of no social media. If you wanted to keep in touch, you had to 
physically meet or write a letter uh, and that didn't happen so at, at the age of about five or six I was found myself in this alien little village thinking and feeling very much like the outsider and you know and people treated me like that um, you know I was the townie kid with my brother um, and you know the Head Start as a business and, and I'm into as we spoke about last time you know this very much the intent around fairness and you know and that's all about inclusivity and and I felt really excluded at that point um, and really wasn't happy with my parents for moving me there but you know life carried on um, my we had an interesting time there my my father was out of work a couple of times which meant that you know in terms of you know, there was no real safety net then so a couple of times we had a real um, you know bad year a couple of those years were really tough um in terms of income and, and and again a very awkward time when i was trying to be an early teenager fighting my way through that navigating that um, young you know discovering girls and things being i wouldn't say we were poor but not having any money uh, was different it was different but you know just seven years in after i'd settled in there and i was you know no longer one of the the new folks and part of the deal um we moved again <laughs> when i was 14. Um, and that again was difficult because I lost all my friends pretty much. We moved a lot further away. So I had to reestablish myself again. And I did, you know, I, you, you do. And actually it was a little bit easier because it was a town, uh, a, a new town. So people had come from various different places, but I guess those two, those two, uh, uh, um, periods, you know, that those moving a couple of times, undermined my self-confidence and made me understand I suppose or made me feel what it was like to be excluded and have to fight back in so I developed this you know my response to that I think psychologically was to develop a way of fitting in right finding understanding what made someone tick and if I wanted to be accepted I had to sort of do that so and then I stayed there and you know we I then went and did my A-levels and went away to college and and again not an, an, unre an unremarkable um rest of education but i think those early years were pretty uh were pretty defining for me because they 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 probably embedded a little bit of the imposter syndrome in me a bit of self-doubt that, that that made that manifested itself in imposter syndromes when i began work i think wow i mean it's it's first it's so true i mean like you know the neurons you know the re recent reading the neurons that are get formed when we are a child are the neurons that we associate together with ourselves today as an adult. Mm -hmm. So there's something called the implicit memory, which when we, you know, act out in a situation today that gets us triggered to something like that, and which could trigger the same example you mentioned, that same example of imposter syndrome. Like we're coming to a situation today as an adult. And mm -hmm. there's no reason for us to have imposter syndrome, but for some reason we have an imposter syndrome. It's an implicit memory from a child, from a young child to the age of five, where we had the, the feeling of, oh act on imposter syndrome and yeah. you know and it's, it's funny they mentioned because you know a lot of times you know, everything like every backstory is essentially it shapes us who we are today like, yeah no totally it totally undermined my confidence in the early yeah. years and i felt that as i was you know going through the work uh, my first work well during my career i guess but certainly in the early my early career when i was younger right and like, you know, especially like, you know, the event like you mentioned, your father was, you know, went through a difficult time, which is, which must have been a difficult period for you also. And, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, feeling of being discluded, you know, when you can move into a new town, which, 
you know, it should also, it's all these things relate to each other, you know, it's mm -hmm. only like, you know, you think about it, like, you know, if we live in utopia, where if only people, you know, helped each other, included each other, um, and essentially, obviously, the world would be a much better place, but why can't we just do it? Just a simple, basic question. Why can human beings just include everyone? Why can't you just be nice to each other, you know? Yeah. There's no rule in the Bible that says, thy shall be an asshole, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, would you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, you obviously go through this whole entire period, you know, you're, becoming into, you're coming into your own self as a teenager, going to university, you graduate university, you're looking at the world, and then you're looking for your first job. So why don't you take, tell us about, you know, your early stage career and then we'll go and then we'll go through everything else. Yeah, I think probably <clears throat> the thing um, I would never, um, you know, I, I tried at school and um, I think that second time I moved academically was a bit of a disaster because I think internally I kind of rebelled a little bit. Because up until then, I was a you know, pretty good student. I did my homework, did my stuff, got my grades, got my passes. I was fine. But at that point, um, and I think it was all part of trying to fit in. Uh, I, I tried to fit in with a certain group and, you know, they, they weren't that interested. And I rebelled a little bit. So I found myself, um, whenever it came to key points like exams, just doing enough to get through to get into the next next bit of education to avoid going out to work because I internally I thought I'm going to end up doing you know being on a building site maybe I don't know what I want to do so I just keep going through education so I did the minimum to do that but by the time I graduated I had changed my mind completely you know those years as a young guy particularly are really difficult to navigate I think um, and my last year was professional exams for HR so I was I was really spent that year much more engaged in what my career was going to look like. And that actually I could have a career as a professional. This is, this was new to me, right? You know, this education might actually pay off. Um, and so my first job was um, in a manufacturing business as an HR, well, personnel officer, and uh, it was a large factory and so on. Um, and it was, it was an incredible training ground uh, from an HR perspective, but I, I remember when I started work there, thinking, wow, how, I can say backward, but how controlling this environment is, you know, how stifling, <clears throat> you know, suits, hierarchy. Um, I'm a low conformist kind of individual. So I'm naturally very curious. Um, and I don't, didn't either take very well to, to this command and control kind of environment. And it wasn't really about me. It was about the way that I, everybody else, and, and there was a particular hierarchy around people on the shop floor, you know, right. the, the staff, the knowledge workers versus the shop floor. It, it was, it was, it was awful really. Um, and I, I couldn't get my head around that. Um, but, you know, it was a great environment. I sucked up the work. Um, again, I really, really enjoyed learning and had some great experiences there. Um, uh, yeah, and I think that that was me blindly just getting into work. But by the same token, what I was doing was I was throwing everything I had into the working life. I was I was kind of sucking up. This was my opportunity to prove I was good, I suppose. But I was very very interested. That started me on a journey of just working, you know, 
probably too many hours, but I was at that point I was sucking it up. But those early days were very, I was sort of questioning a lot. Um, why is it like this? But as luck would have it, it was a business that had been acquired. It was a business that they were looking to turn around as a manufacturing business. And uh, we brought in a guy who was, um, his, he, he'd brought, been brought up on the tools, as they call it, as an apprentice working in a manufacturing business. But he'd, ma he'd made good, he'd gone to university and he'd become a consultant for then what was PwC back in those days or Coopers and Libran. And he came in and he transformed the business. And, the, and what I remember, which stayed with me, it, it kind of was a light bulb moment for me. It was, it was, it was, he joined when I did more or less. Um, and his whole approach was to break down the barriers. Uh, and he was probably the first guy who walked onto the shop floor in a suit who wasn't walking onto the shop floor to have a go at someone. You know, he was walking onto the shop floor to go, hey guys, what's happening here? And uh, what do you think of the place? And uh, when things go wrong, you know, what do you think the cause is? And he kind of effectively, in simplest terms, we needed to transform the business. So he, he kind of turned around and said to the guys on the shop floor, you're the ones who know the best how this is done, best or worst. I want you to help me solve the problem because I really don't know what it is. And he, under his guidance, I saw people come out of their shell. You know, I saw people in the factory that wouldn't say boo to a goose who'd been there 20, 30 years, um, <clears throat> getting involved in solving real problems. And, you know, two months, three months later, they're standing up in front of, you know, seven, 800 people presenting the work that they've done, the benefits they've given and all of those sort of things to the business. They turned the business around. And that was defining for me because on the one hand, I got this construct of an organization and the hierarchical stuff, the bit I didn't understand, which seemed to be 99% of business. And on the other, I've got this example of Joe and what he could do and the power he, he, he sort of wielded just by being human and engaging these people. And he saw himself as a peer. He didn't see himself as their boss or any better, any better than anyone else. In fact, he valued everybody. And for me, that, that really started my early career going oh my god which is which is which you know i i really like this but i don't see anybody talking about this much but this bit over here the vast majority of the way we run the business don't really like or a vast majority of businesses running like that so yeah i guess that early stage was the defining moment for me in terms of trying to you know, really getting into the world of work and understanding what made it tick um and I, I learned a lot from Joe. Uh, it, it, it resonated with me very strongly uh, what he was doing, right. how he'd done it. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. You always have that, you know, that career pivot in the sense that you see something. A lot of times, you know, like you mentioned, like, you know, we just think this is the way it is and it can never change. It can never happen. And it comes along a guy like Joe who's like, <clears> you know what? No, let me show you guys that it actually is a different way. There's a different yeah. way how to do things. And, you know, which essentially the whole model, Joe, was it's very similar with yours. It says take care of the people. Mm. You know, people are the most important thing. You know, yes. you don't want to have a place where people wake up in the morning being like, damn, I got to go to work today again. Like, I got to go to the shop floor. Um, and see, like, Joe made that transformation in you, which obviously led you into the whole entire career of HR, of making, you know, biz changing businesses. Mm. Everything over there. Yeah. So no, why don't you tell us, you know, 
you, you go there, you know, a lot, a lot, you've been through a lot of, you know, career transformation, career pivots. You know, from my understanding, you've been laid off a few times. You went through a lot of difficult things in different times in your journey. Take us through, you know, the, the point of, you know, during your earlier career, getting laid off, the emotions that come together with that, you know, and how you like, you know, you look back now on hindsight and continue to hold strong back then and, and, and now. Yeah, sure. So I think it started with, so when I did that first job for about four and a half years and uh, I, I learned a lot there. So, and then inevitably I wanted to go and, you know, uh, grow and there wasn't really room for that there. So I got into another job, uh, my second HR job for what is now Nestle Purina. And that was, that was interesting in that I, I, I did extremely well there. I got promoted early. I was there for about four and a half years or so again. But that was a, that had a manufacturing part of the business and I visited that. It wasn't where I was. <clears throat> and they were successful and going through transformation. But they weren't doing it through the people, which was interesting. So I went there with this toolkit that I'd, I'd learned and wanted to spread the gospel. And they weren't really interested. They were doing it all by numbers. And, uh, you know, they had some success by that. But that period there, although it was very successful for me, I did really well. I ended up after four years really questioning whether HR was the best place for me because I couldn't see um, this organization. It was saying, and so were others, people are our most important assets, we discussed earlier. Um, but I couldn't see it as lip service. You know, I couldn't see it being really there, you know, in, in the heart. And so I made you know, I guess I laid myself off the first time. I made I made this decision that either this HR stuff is just fluffy nonsense and, you know, really it's just about being tough and you just need to get with the programme, Jonesy. Um, or there is something in it. It's just that it's only a small fraction of the people believe it. So I, I was thinking about getting an, a job outside of HR and uh, a search and selection company that was working for me. Um, for, we were looking for some senior roles across Europe. I got to know them really well. They said, why don't you come work for us? Um, and I guess in my sort of poor period of frustration, I said, yeah, why not? So I just went and I left the HR profession and that started a much longer journey for me. And, and here's where I am today. I'm now running a business, which was my ultimate goal, you know, uh, have been for three or four years and I've run a business before for this too. Um, but that was the start of this jumping off a cliff. And I think the challenge with that was that having grown up the way I did with this you know, sense of lack of confidence and everything else, then bizarrely, I was undermining my, uh, or stretching my self-confidence by moving out of everything that I knew. I was taking a huge risk with my career. Um, and that was probably the biggest initial transition point. And initially it was great. I did a year. I liked it. I thought it was going to go well. I thought it was, it was great. And then I got sidetracked into technology, which was another kind of positive journey um, because we were looking for tech because I couldn't believe how bad the environment was. That got me into the dot-com boom. And then it all kind of just fell apart because the dot-com boom went bang. And, I, and the company I, I, um, I was involved with was where I first got fired because the guy who ran it was a megalomaniac and um, we didn't see eye to eye and particularly didn't see eye to eye with my colleagues and he thought because we were close he should get rid of me as well. Mm. Now ironically 
um, someone with low confidence, uh, the, the, you know, my nightmare was security and losing my job. And at that point, I'd just got family, just had a baby. Um, and that was my you know, complete nemesis that, that I might lose a job. And I, at that point, I thought, you idiot, you left a great career in HR, you should have just kept your head down, you know, sucked it up, you'd be, you know, another three years under your belt, etc. My dad, I remember saying to him, why do you give up your corporate career? You know, I was like getting it from all angles. But my worst nightmare would kind of come true. Here is a guy, you know, I moved away from what I, I knew, took a whole big bunch of risks. I've got my myself mortgage not mortgage literally but i've got a family on the way i've got to try and work about house you know i've got uh, all these things going on and i haven't even walked out of a job i've been fired my worst nightmare so all of my insecurities were screaming obviously and i you know i i for weeks i was lying awake at night um, waking up at three o'clock in the morning and so on but i got through it you know i went out there i found another organization and another job and, and i actually went through a series of, of of different things at that time and i so i faced my demons i had to <clears throat> and actually it worked out okay the world didn't end there was something else around the corner and, and then when i look back on it you know for me that was i'd almost almost ripped up the whole thing and thrown it away uh, but I managed to step out uh, out of doing HR and step into more commercial jobs and um, you know I think I, I worked with a coach once and I kept saying you know I was really lucky because I left there and did that and I was really lucky because I went from there to there and I'm really lucky and she kept saying why do you keep saying luck you know what you're doing is you're engaging with somebody else and somebody else is seeing your potential and saying you know why don't you come and work with us and that was a bit of a light bulb moment um, that I kept writing stuff off to luck. Again, my natural, your natural psychology is to, is to write yourself down, right? Is to go with what you know. That's why, you know, people go back to abusive relationships. It's unfortunately where they, where they feel naturally comfortable, even if they don't want to be there. So that was that I, you know, my world had fallen apart and I'd got through it. And so I knew I could probably do it again. And I think that, again, the second time um, when, you know, I'd, I'd taken on a company, turned it around, sold it to a parent business. And, you know, we got on like a house on fire, me and the CEO, and I was there for another four years. And then the market collapsed. Um, and, you know, that caused a lot of tension in the business. And at some point she got sick of hearing what I had to say. Um, and yeah, I left the business. Um, but again, I made something of it, you know, I had survival instincts and actually it was the best thing ever. Um, so it's this kind of, it's good to face into your demons. Right. And, you know, you know, it, it, I always have this motto that nothing, and I'm sure it can be for some people, but generally speaking, the, I, I think it's gonna be this bad and actually it's only this bad really. Yeah. The rest of it's in here, you know, this too shall pass. Yeah. Um, as somebody I don't know once said so I think that's instrumental is is that bit in the early career was actually my biggest fear came true and then I realized actually there's still life after it and you know 
And, and if I continue to engage in the way that I wanted to and pursue this thing about being human and use my personal relationships to do that, then, then it'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make good of it. Wow. Wow. I mean, you just touched upon so many incredible points, which, you know, essentially the, the daily life of every single human, single human being. And one thing I've seen somewhere, and I've always thought this, that, and it goes straight into the point you're saying, nothing is ever as bad as it seems, and nothing is ever as good as it seems. It always falls out and lines up in the middle. But a lot of times, you know, during the, the period of going through it, you're like, holy hell, the whole rule's falling apart, everything is, you know, breaking loose, you know, everyone's out there to get me, you start harboring all those resentments. <laughs> And everything over there, and you're like, you know, it's that fault, that fault, that fault. But then we don't we forget to take responsibility. But at the end of the day, when you step out of that zone, you're like, wait, that wasn't so bad. You know, I made it out alive. Like you said, the rule did not fall apart. You know, yeah. uh, the rule does not revolve around me. You know, I'm a one person here that's trying to contribute to the bigger part of society to make a difference. But everything, you know, it's a very important thing to matter that, like, if, if you get fight, you know, laid off or something else happens, you will make it out. You know, you will, and it'll yeah. be okay. You know, you know like you, you, there's a diagram that's going around that shows the careers. You know, it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. You're that typical thing going through that, you know, people think that, you know, career, when they see a CEO, for example, or a founder, and they, they only see the end journey, you know, but they don't realize there's a whole 20-year previous journey where, for example, by you, you know, fighting through, you know, self-confidence, imposter syndromes, you know, getting laid off, going up, going down, things like that. At the same time, you also had defining moments and everything. I mean, every single human being needs to know about this whole entire thing because we all deal with imposter syndrome. You know? Yeah. And like, how do, you, how do you deal with imposter syndrome now, today? I guess I've been through so many iterations of self-doubt um, that you kind of, it just becomes like a jacket that you slip on and slip off, you know? Um, I, I've spent so much of my early years so for example when you know when i moved jobs that that second time uh or the first time when in fact whenever anything goes well but certainly career-wise i would immediately start thinking something's you know it, literally i'm going to get ill and i'm going to die or something along as it sounds ridiculous but that's the sort of thing that you go through you know it's something's going to take it away the next day and actually it's quite exhausting, but the, the one advantage of being older and getting older and, you know, having worked for 32 years now is that you see the pattern, right? You know, you doubt self doubt, something happens, you think it's going to go this way and it didn't. And, 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 you know, I survived all of those iterations and, you know, here I am today um, and love my job and, you know, love the opportunity to do these kind of things and speak out about what I think is important. So um, it's really just now, I, you know, I've come to terms with it. And it's, of course, still get those moments, you know, still got those moments where I'm stretched or challenged or, you know, I'm sure there'll be another uh, moment in my career or at some point where something's really important to me uh, and or I'm with somebody or someone's challenging me and that will undermine my self-confidence again. But I'm so, I've been through it so many times that I've just got a toolkit to deal with it. 
and ignore it. And, you know, I feel um, I value myself now more. I value my skills. You know, I've, I've stopped making um, allowances and, and accommodating other people's judgment of me. And that's, there's a saying, and I can't remember the words, but it basically says, don't allow people to make you feel the way you do, because that's what you do. You end up, you know, uh, being shaped and, and, and responding to certain people. So, you know, whereas, you know, I'm very, very easygoing person, but, you know, whereas in previous worlds, I would work or engage with people who, you know, would make me would challenge me or make me feel less of a person or whatever it is i just don't engage those people anymore right you know i'm open to people talking and i'm open to criticism and i have critical friends and it, it's not to do with that it's not to do with trying to just create this bubble that i'm brilliant or anything like that it's just that some people you know bring can 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 undermine you and just and make you then take all of this sort of negative energy and responsibility on your shoulders. And it's like, well, no, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I am who I am. So, um, and my beliefs are my beliefs and, you know, they resonate with some people and they don't resonate with others. Doesn't really matter. Um, I will navigate towards an environment that I think helps me um, or where I can help others. So yeah, it's a case of having, I've worn the jacket so many times now. I can tell the difference between my jacket and someone else's. So thanks. I'll just take it off for now. It's it's hard. You know, you have your moments, but you know, you know, I'd say as human beings, like end of the day, we're all human. You know, you're human. I'm human. Everyone else, everyone else. You know, we're all human. We all have our own, you know, emotional baggage, emotional desires, um, our own issues that come together with it. You know, and you know, we always associate, you know, we have to realize that whoever to make a difference, their career, their title, everything like that, they're human at the end of the day. Every, everyone's human. And, you know, to get blinded by something external is no point in it. And people that are, you know, that are wearing their externalness in, on, on the outside only shows a lack of, of internal what's going on inside. You know, it's, it's something funny, funny while you're talking. I mean, so many different things coming to my mind, but there's one thing, you know, would you ever judge someone else as hard as you judge yourself? Right? So it's very easy for us, like to, to beat ourselves up, you know, like and ready to have all these self doubts I mean, like that. Would you ever think of that on someone else? We ever judge them that harshly? We have to learn how to be kind to ourselves, you know. It's like to, to be kind, to take care of ourselves, to appreciate ourselves, to listen to that voice when it comes inside the anxiousness, the anxiety, you know, the insecurities. It's trying to teach us a lesson when it comes into us, yeah. and. You know, it's not something that they, a lot of times, you know, we, we run away from these feelings of, of feelings of fear, feelings of, of, of stress. Um, you know, we, we bury it down. We, sh- we throw it away. You know, yeah. It's no. a- Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a really strong point in that, um, you know, over the years, there's been this growing narrative when I started, you know, probably 10 years into my career when companies were pretending even harder that people mattered they started talking about bringing your whole self to work, um, which probably started 20 years ago or more. And uh, they really don't, I don't think they really, met, really knew what they were saying, right? You know, because they didn't and haven't really wanted you to bring your whole self to work. And I think that is, 
incredibly important. So in my business, in the business, you know, in the Head Start organization, we have a kind of a mantra, which is um, from my perspective, that there's an order of things that are important. And, you know, for most of my career, I wouldn't say I was a company man, because that's a kind of a, an old fashioned term, and it's probably more akin to my father's generation. But, you know, very much the company comes first, and because that pays the bills and, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, and in fact, that's how I started my career, thinking I've got to keep the job. No matter what happens, I have to keep that job um, because that the job and the salary allows me to live a life and everything else. And actually, that kind of approach probably cost me my marriage. So, or at least contributed to the fact that I wasn't around enough. I didn't see my kids enough, you know, et cetera. I wasn't tired and so on. Um, so I think it's the opposite way around. And, you know, again, I'm sure people will disagree with me, but my time has told me that, and has manifests itself in our approach at Head Start, which is for me, the most important thing is that you, as someone who works in Head Start, uh, be their best self right uh, physically and mentally and I don't that doesn't mean I'm interested in or want to have to know what you're doing physically and mentally to make you sure you're your best self but um, that's my objective is to make sure that that's your top priority um, so that you are you know you find the working pattern that suits you as an individual um, so that's times and place um, you fit it around your life in a way that suits you and you look after yourself and do whatever it is to make sure you are the absolute best you can be as a person um, for you, not for the company, but for you as an individual. And if you do that, then you'll turn up to your team as the best you. And if everybody did that, we'd have a team of best yous, best thems. Um, and if that was the case, that team would then bring its best, absolute best to the company. And that is the order in which it should happen. Unfortunately, for most of my working career, it's been the other way around. Company comes first, then your team, then you. And in the context of the best you, it is absolutely what you described. You know, the whole human being, whatever you are, I don't want you to be disguising it or masking it or suppressing it or anything. I mean, clearly there are some things you might want to keep confidential, but if that's the case, just let me know. We'll organize something around it. But I don't want anybody to feel that they are anything other than their authentic selves in the workplace and I believe this is absolutely important and especially from a leadership perspective mm -hmm. you have to be an authentic person and you have to allow people to be their authentic selves um, because that's when they feel most comfortable you know we're all the same you know when when have you felt that you're sort of in the most flow where you feel like you're doing your best or whatever it's a combination of whole sort of things, even down to the way you dress, right? I'll dress in something that, and I wear black t-shirts and jeans. That's all I wear. I'm known for it, right? I've done for 20 years. I'm my most comfortable when I'm in a black t-shirt and jeans and uh, in a certain thing, doing a certain way. And when I'm in, when all those little pieces are lined up, I am actually, it's a bit, a bit noisy that, um, when all those light things are lined up, I am on my game. And you know why am I on my game? Because I'm not conforming in any way. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go and have a good day, but actually I'll put a suit on because I have to put a suit. I'm not 100% comfortable in it, but I'll do it. 
Um, I'm going to go in today, but I need to get up at half past five and that's really bad time for me, but I'm going to get half past five every day and get a training to, you know, all of these little micro adjustments that we make to fit into this kind of construct that we've created around work. All they seek to do in my view is just chip away at the real you. And, you know, when we say we want your whole self at work, when we say people are our greatest asset, when we say we want to create an environment that is inclusive and, you know, fosters belonging, that means, you know, handing everything over to the individual. You show up how you need to show up and um, that brings the best out in you because then I know I will get the best out of that person we will get the best out of each other and we'll deliver and in 32 years i've i've researched this and i've talked to people i've you know worked in hierarchical organizations i've talked to business leaders who behave that way and then i've gone the other end of the spectrum and i and i've run businesses myself and i've run it in a slightly more autocratic way than i do now in history run my teams in a way like that. And I can tell you after all that time, and maybe maybe, um, maybe I'm a little bit stupid, but after all that time, I haven't changed my mind one bit. The way to go is, you know, people treat them like adults, create a great environment for them, let them be themselves, make sure they look after themselves, enable that, um, give them great feedback, engage with the positive in them and also help them through the other bits I can, you know I can't tell you then all that research I've done I found any different way wow it you know and this it's, it's so important you know and this definitely you know such an approach is a top-down approach you know it starts from leadership and down yeah, yeah the, fish, the fish rots from the head it's my favorite saying and it, you know, there are all these excuses, you know, I watched a video the other day. It was, it was a TikTok video. It was very short. And it was, it was, it was, I can't remember who the actor's name was, but he was being interviewed by somebody. And they said to him, what's the biggest lie you've ever been told? And he said, it's not that simple. And the person interviewing him said, you know, what do you mean? You know, thinking that he was criticizing the question. He said, no, 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 that's the biggest lie I've ever been told. It's not that simple. And that was just like, boom, because that's what you hear when you challenge these constructs we've got today. Oh, it's not that simple. You know, we need to do a transformation. We need to move this. Oh, it's just not that simple. You know, we need to think about COVID, pre-COVID. You know, we should really be thinking about employing, you know, flexible working in the place and giving people the opportunity to work. No, no, it's just not that simple. No, it just can't be done here. It's just not that simple. And it's just utter nonsense. Right. You know, we are getting in the way of these great things. And um, unfortunately, um, that's as a culture, as a way of working, as, as prevailed for a very, very long time. Um, and you know, I'm hopeful that COVID has been a bit of a shift to, to make us start questioning all of this. Right. But it's, it's this, we build up this complexity that, that uh, it allows us to say we shouldn't do this we can't do that it's not just simple and it is you know from a leadership perspective it actually it all sits at your door and it is not complicated for you to either take a different path and embrace this stuff or move aside and let someone else because um 
there are many examples of turnarounds where, you know, if you look at the really good turnaround, it's, it's, you know, somebody didn't come in and spend hours poring over finances and looking at share prices and, you know, doing structure charts and doing that. They kind of just walked in and they said to the organization, hey, we're in a bit of a mess, guys. Um, and this is, you know, we're in it together. How do we do it? If you look at some of those really good culture change stories, the leader stepped in and stepped up and was a human leader and got people on side, got their trust. You know, there's several examples of it. And, you know, leaders are not good at doing that. Our current crop, they're not good at doing that. And, and I think that's, you know, we need to hold, we need, we, we need as professionals, HR professionals particularly, need to hold the mirror up to the leadership and say, you know, there's problems in this organization. And in reality, the problem stems from leadership, i.e. you. And it's so true that, you know, like the leader, like, you know, let's say a company is going through a difficult time. You know, most times the leader, the first thing they're going to do is, okay, let me look at the sales numbers. Let me look and say, why is sales numbers not up to par? And then, okay, let me look at the sales team. Let me look at the process. But you're missing the first point of the whole entire thing. Why don't you go to the salesperson and ask him, hey, how are things at home? How's your relationship with your, you know, your, 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 in your whatever relationship you're in? You know, how's your relationship with your friends, your family? Are you going through a difficult personal time? Are you going through some type of addiction, challenge, whatever else it may be? Because then it's not the fact that I'm, not, I'm showing up to work, I'm motivated. It's my first step that something's wrong with me that I'm going through. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and totally. we missed that key point. Because, you know, work is something, it's, it's what we do, it's not who we are. Right? But most times we show up to work as this is, our whole life is work. But we have this whole entire other thing over here. And we have to make this whole thing over here, which is our personal life. You know, of who we are as a human being to, de to develop and grow, because when we grow there, most times we grow and work. If we're in a place that's a, a great environment to help us foster the growth and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, so, there's so many like ways. And you know, like you mentioned, you know, I think, you know, the certain we have to take the whole work down, the whole work atmosphere currently how it is now, crumble it and build it up from new again. Um, no, I think you're right. The, the best, my examples, and I can only show it, is where people, you know, it goes back to, you know, like Joe my my guy from my first job he was successful because he took a human approach he was interested and you know if i was walking into a business tomorrow that wasn't performing and i was the you know the incoming ceo um the first thing i'd, I'd want to know is you know uh, how do, what's our approach to to people in the business you know and i'd be going to people in the organization saying what do you think of the leadership you know, what do you think of the way this company is run? And I'd be talking to everybody, the, you know, the person on the shop floor, the cleaner, the managers, everybody else. And I'd be saying, you know, what's, what's the, what do you think is wrong with the, with the business? Where are we going wrong? You know, and I would ask everybody that question. Um, and I'd be, and I'd repeat myself over and over and over again and say, look, you can be as honest as you like. Um, and there's the problem, you know, when you start asking those questions on the back of previous history, quite often people don't tell you. Right. They'll do a, a, an, an engagement survey and tell you that it's, you know, it's a five out of 10 from a culture perspective, but very few people then will, will be prepared to commit to writing on that questionnaire why it's a five out of 10, because they're fit immediately, they fear, oh, if I, you know, if somebody knows I said that, I'll get the sack, you know, all these kind of things. And, um, you know, 99%, you know, there've been TV programs, you know, Troubleshooter, you know, 
what's that one where the hidden boss, you know, all of these programs on TV where the undercover boss, all of these things. When you, when you unpeel the onion, it's all the same thing. Decisions they make at the top, they're not connected to the rest of the business and they're not understanding the person. Look at those programs, look at those engagements. The human ones win out. And you have to understand, so if, if sales isn't performing, I'd want to know. I would be immediately thinking it's either something wrong with the product, we haven't equipped them well enough, or the sales leaders not, you know, not getting the most out of it. Um, but also, yeah, if, if you're, as an individual, you're not functioning as well as a salesperson, as a person, then you're not going to bring your best right. to the team. And I do believe that we have to take a more human approach. So, you know, we called it human resources when I was in the profession and it's, be, and, it, and you know, it's almost like become not human resources, you know, for a, for, a, for a function to have the name of human resources, you look at the narrative that goes along with the HR function, um, you even get things like, yeah, I don't consider myself as an HR leader. I consider myself as a business person with a specialism in HR. It's like, what are you talking about? What kind of nonsense is that? That's almost like saying I'm a bit embarrassed about being a people person. I'm embarrassed about the HR bit because first and foremost, I'm commercial. I get the numbers because that's what matters. That's what gets me a seat at the table. This HR bit, the fluffy bits, not my main card. Well, you know what? If you're not prepared to put it on as your main thing that I am a person who's embedded in people, then get out of the profession, right? It's a people profession, people we need to understand our people better. We need CEOs and CFOs and CMOs and SVPs of logistics or whatever. They need to stop talking, stop counting numbers and start talking to their teams as being more human. And the fact that the human resources profession has been dancing around the fire for decades and you know trying to make itself appear more commercial to make itself more accepted it's nonsense. You've been, you know, been talking about HR getting a seat at the table and being more commercial every year for 32 years. And we're still talking about it. You know, it's a human, it's the profession that's supposed to understand the nuances of people and help leadership understand that. And right now I see, you know, I've seen over the years, this kind of almost like, I don't want to be known as an HR person. I want to be known as a commercial animal. As someone who really understands business and I am got the you know I've got the HR backpack to carry well you know we're that isn't HR you know people are business without the people in the business your stuff you can talk about your product you can talk about your own genius as a CEO because you come from XYZ company and you turned a business around there but there isn't a product or service out there that wasn't delivered by somebody's idea and then somebody's careful hands to craft it, someone to market it, someone to, etc. You know, so um, we owe our people a lot. Right. Wow. And we don't recognize it. So then what does the future of work look like for you? Oh. Big question. Um, Cause you know, you talk about, I mean, I, I, I'm with you 100%. If we need a change, you know, and like you're right, if you look at most human resource officers, it's all about, you know, like, it's a commercial thing. It is. And it's like, how can I make it to the top of the ladder? Um, and every other aspect, you know, in, in within the workforce culture, a lot, it's all about like, 
how can I get promoted? You know, and then you have the internal politics and the bullshit and like that and the other types of things. But like, how do we make, what's the future work look like to make this environment where I can show up with my heart on my sleeve? I could walk in today and say, hey, hey guys, I had a hard time, let's say, at home last night and therefore I'm out of my best today. Mm. Or, you know, I have my kids recital. Let me go. I want to go join that. Or I have my friend's birthday party or whatever else it may be. But how do we create an environment of work that I can show up as my full self? Yeah. I think the, the, the only way that can happen is with a fundamental shift in leadership attitudes. And um, the next five to 10 years is going to be really interesting because, you know, we've, we've, I've no doubt that, you know, 20 years time, which would be hopefully beyond the point at which I've retired, um, there will be, you know, work will be more flexible. It'll be more human. It'll be more these things. Cause I think generally speaking, there's a trajectory, right? It's a macro. It's far more, you know, just things like you know dress organizations are far more informal and probably a bit more with the people program now than they were 30 years ago so this is general direction of travel um but it would have taken 20 years and you know for that to happen and certainly around flexibility and so on and covid has shortened that 20-year timeline by 19 years right so boom on one aspect one key aspect of work and the relationship with work which is around this you know commuting structured working day the problem with that shortening by 19 years is that that we've got the leaders that we've got today that have these frameworks of control or frameworks of nine to five frameworks of the way we are they would have moved on retired or their frameworks would have retired over the next 20 years and you know people would have come through with slightly more as as always does you know that each generation of leadership brings its own and i think it's going in that direction so now we've got this as i called it you know it's this tectonic plate shift boom and that's caused sort of leadership tsunamis and leadership earthquakes everywhere because all of a sudden we've we've they lim- we've taken their limited beliefs about what is possible and blown it out of the water right and they've had to embrace it and uh and some have gone, well, yeah, I didn't believe this would work beforehand, but it has now, and that's actually amazing. And yeah, well, you know, maybe I'm prepared to think differently, and maybe this is the future and they'll walk on. But you know, it's a tiny proportion of those people. The rest are confused or sitting there going, I don't like this, you know, because although we say the world of work has changed, oh, that's the only context that's changed right everything else is the same the leaders are the same they were 18 months ago their attitudes are the same you know you look at this in amongst this whole working debate where will you work whatever the working day is still seen as the same there's a lot of people i know who have been you know under a lot of pressure even though working at home to make sure they're on between nine and five right even though they might have challenges at home um there's no, the, the construct of presence, you know, be present in a certain place hasn't, hasn't melted away. So we've got all of these, we're still hanging on to these constructs, even though we can't control the people. So um, that I think is going to create a huge challenge for the, a lot of these leaders, because these leaders are, you know, CEOs these days are, you know, tall, 
So we tend to take tall people. They're men, largely speaking. Um, a lot of them have come from, you know, from finance. You know, they're financial people, COOs, make the natural choice, isn't it? You know, either a really good senior operator or a financial person, the FD becomes the CEO. And they've had these behaviors around control and hierarchy. These people have been schooled to the point that they are today. And that, in my view, is the wrong schooling and approach for what we need for the world of work that's been dropped into us 19 years early. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you, you haven't got a hope in hell of trying to change the organization without the buy-in and the leadership at the top end. So we're going to go through a year or a couple of years, I think, where um, we're going to have to triage these leaders through it. You know, and if HR is going to have a role, it needs to be the tough coach. It needs to be needs to stand up and be counted and say, right, Mr. CEO, w- you know, we do need to embrace this and we need to go even further. Right. We hang on to your hat. We need to give people full flexibility, remove the hierarchy, you know, engage our people, build their trust, treat them like adults. And when these CEOs say, no, it's complete rubbish, they need to say it isn't rubbish. Here's the mirror again and you're in the driving seat or they need to leave the company and go somewhere where they can make that happen so i you know the answer to a more you know people oriented uh uh whole self at work better working environments sits with those ceos and their immediate teams but ultimately sits with the ceo and some of those people and i don't even know how many but i'm going to say quite a lot of them are going to find that shift very, very difficult because it is a complete, you know, about turn right. from everything they've been schooled and know in terms of leadership and leader behavior. They've got to change some fundamental habits. Now, the interesting thing is they've probably for the last 10 years been reading report after report after report and going to event after event after event run by McKinsey and Harvard and Stanford and all of those organizations telling them that organizations that run like this and that their people and engage for that, engage diversity and are, are you'll outperform, you'll get more revenue, you'll do all this and do all that. And yet, what do they do about it? They do nothing. They ignore the reports. They don't bite into it. But, you know, that moment, I think, is now coming. You know, COVID, despite all the negativity it brought and the destruction and, and, you know, bad things for a lot of people, it it took one of the biggest limited beliefs of leadership and disproved it. Right. And proved that the reason we're not making these changes isn't because we physically can't, isn't because big organisations can't do that, isn't because... X, Y, and Z. It's simply because the leadership chose to ignore it because they didn't believe. That is it. You can argue all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, if I'm the CEO of a blue chip, you know, in multinational business, I can make those changes or I cannot. It's that simple. Wow. And a lot of it, you know, is sometimes when leadership buys into their own self like i'm the leader i'm this i made it i you know and not thinking that you know along your career path you had multiple different types of pivots multiple multiple people helping you along the way and you know when you you remember that and thinking wait you have the opportunity 
as a leader now, from all the help you've got when you were rising up the ladder, to help the people in your organization out to help them rise up, you know, putting them first, everything will take care of itself. You know, it, sales don't happen by itself. You know, if you're able to take care of your people in your, within your organization, automatically what happens? Your culture will become good. If your culture becomes good, automatically sales will happen because people are motivated to work. It's people, people, people. And like you said, you know, COVID expedited this whole entire process. And, you know, putting organizations, you know, and, and at the forefront of everything. It's the most important thing. You know, so you and your career, you had, you know, multiple different pivots, a lot of failures, a lot of um, self-doubt, rejection, insecurities, um, imposter syndrome. At the same time, you also had people like Joe that, you know, gave you that, uh, you know, that, that gave you a whole new paradigm shift to work. And then working at another company, you had multiple different paradigm shifts. So you had the both, uh, both spectrums, mm-hmm. you know. What lessons can you take? Do you learn from that, and you can apply to give to others? Uh, I suppose um, the one, and I don't know whether you know ultimately this is a, a personality thing or what, but um, I, I guess I sought out and saw you know people like Joe, and my gut was telling me that this just made sense. And so, you know, I found, and in those days it was, you know, when I came through the leadership of, of a guy like him, you know, I started to look around for other examples um, and got very curious about how good organizations ran and so on. But it was difficult then, the internet didn't exist. So you had to go and go to the library or read a magazine or find a book. But over time I found good examples. You know, I found Ricardo Semler and Semco um, and his book Maverick, which again was a defining point in my life. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, one of the best business books of all time. One of the best HR practitioner reads of all time. It's absolutely essential reading. And, and you know, he was doing things that we're considering doing now and thinking are, you know, um, sort of leading edge people stuff. Uh, even some of the things we're not considering doing now because we think it's a leap too far. He was doing nearly 40 years ago. And um, so I think that that validation over the years of looking at those things and seeing them, you know, because 20, 25 years ago, people would just say, yeah, but they're a special case. They're an outlier, you know, can't happen here. And I've learned that it can. I think so the lesson one for me all through my life has been, you know, my gut is there and tells me, you know, trust your gut is number one. Feed it with information, check it, you know, sense check it, but um, trust your gut. Because what my gut was really telling me was drawing me to some something that I, where I would be successful, where I would, where it would resonate with me, right? Um, because that's what you're doing. That's what it's, I guess, saying is I was looking at the way Joe was behaving and others and going, I get that. That makes total sense to me. I will, I will work hard for this guy. I will, but because he trusts me and I trust him and all of those things. And I think that was really important to me. And support the lesson I've learned is that, you know, my gut, I always go on my gut. I, I will then feed it with data depending on what's going on. But, you know, if I smell a rat, there's a rat generally. Uh, and if I feel good about something, then I'm going to pursue it, even though I don't have the data, but I will try and back it up with data. 
So I think that's a that's a key learning for me is, you know, it's important for me to follow my intuition um, right. uh, around these things. And, you know, don't, don't accommodate or stick around where people are. I mean, it's important to feed your mind with other people's perspectives. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, don't flog a dead horse, as they say. You know, I'm not, I've learned now not to spend or invest too much time in um, overly trying to make the point around these things and to people who don't believe. I will listen to them and I, let's come on the journey. But I have enough evidence and I have enough faith that, um, you know, there's a human beings will actually, largely speaking, do their best if you give them the room to do it and you support them. Um, and you stop trying to micromanage them and make decisions for them and everything else. And actually you embrace them as a whole individual. Um, the, you know, the, the jury's back in on that one in my mind. So, um, so I think those are probably a couple of things and, you know, believe, believe in yourself. Right. Um, because it's like they say, you know, you can't love anyone else unless you truly love yourself. Um, and it's the same with belief and all of those things. You know, you're so easy to um, to run yourself down or think that you're not, you know, to look at somebody else and think you wish you had what they've got and all those things. But at the end of the day, um, we all have that opportunity. Um, you've just got to have faith in yourself a bit. And, you know, you're, people are much stronger than they give themselves credit for. Um, it, we just live in a society, generally speaking, um, where that, that strength isn't tested very often. Um, and, you know, you'll find it. You just, just don't let these things undermine belief. Self-belief, I think, is really, is really important. Right. I, I'm blown away. Like, I have no words. Like, emotionally, I'm feeling it all. Um, and you, you touch upon like, you know, the daily struggles of us, what it means to be human beings and what it means to be a human being within the workforce and, you know, work, everything else and how we confuse it to, you know, um, you know, learning how to show up, as you said, show up as your true self, believe in yourself, you know, as human beings, it works like this. You have something I don't have and I have something you don't have. And that could be a personal trait or something. And when we come together, I'm, yeah. I become your, 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 your supporter, you become my supporter. And then we're able to create a third thing, which is much bigger than us. And if we learn how to do that, you know, within the, in the workforce, quote unquote, right? Which I, the whole workforce thing, you know, is a whole separate, you know, we'll get into that later, the whole conversation. Yeah. But like, yeah. when we learn how to treat each other with respect, show up. You know, there's all like there's all these gimmicks. Let's get this sale. Let's do this gimmicks and sales and marketing and things like that. And then they, you're human, I'm human. Let's get on the phone. Hey, if I need it, I need it. If I don't need it, I don't need it. That's it. Simple like that. Why do we have to play all these stick and games and everything? Mm. Human to human. But like you said, show up as your true self. Show up as who you are. You know, know that you could grow. Know that yes, I have weaknesses. You know, find the company that's able to support your growth and to help you. I mean, these are the most important things. Like, so as a, you know, 
but at the same time, you know, these are the most important things, you know, and also like in, but a lot of times, you know, working in a workforce, um, it, this is all, it, it takes it like, you know, we think we put our career first sometimes. Most times we put our career first, you know, we're, we're taught, we're, we're brought up in society that, like you mentioned in the beginning, you know, you went through your own, in your own personal journey, for example, your dad got laid off and you have to go through that difficult time, which set an impression within you that you need security, you need financial security, right? Which made you work, you know, get into, the, I guess, workaholism, you know, and to apply yourself before that, make that be, before everything, you know, which, like you mentioned before, you know, affected your family life. Yeah. How do we do that, you know, and then we still have them and that mindset is still there today. You know, people want that security. People are like, I need that security because you know what? And it's like, we expect our, our partners to know that like, we're doing this for you because we didn't have that security, but really yeah. it should be flipped. And I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> I think it's a, this is a really important dynamic because, you know, I grew up like thinking that in the world of work um, because of you know, my relationship with work and my relationship with the company and my boss and the, the nature of work, the construct of work at the time. And it's really unhealthy. Um, you know, I did good work, but the work, you know, was it, was it all at its best? And, you know, cause you know, really my, my life was over here, my work was over here, never the twain shall meet, but I was, you know, obsessed with keeping my job. So I worked longer hours and, and, and what have you. And, you know, and I, of course, it, I realized that a lot, lot, uh, probably a bit too late. Not that that was a single reason, of course, but you realize actually the currency of success and, you know, a fulfilling life is love. It's not, you know, uh, it's not money. Um, and, but we have a society that drills into us this, you know, this thing. And I think the, the, you know, the, the, the onus is on leaders to create environments where, you know, their team can put their life first or create a life that allows, you know, the, the, the allows the notion of a work-life balance to exist, right? Um, you know, there's some people work for me have got young children and, um, uh, you know, two, three, four years old. And I look at that and I think, you know, my kids are 21 and 18 now. Um, and I look at those folks and I don't want them to do what I did. I don't want them coming home at eight o'clock at night, just when the kids are going to bed. And, you know, you know I wanted to say goodnight to my kids, but then it would wake them up a bit. And that would be a bone of contention between me and my, my, my ex-wife and, um, and, or, you know, I missed out on time with them at tea time. And, you know, the days that I did get home early or whatever, it was just amazing. Cause I'll be around for the tea. And I want that. For, I want that to be normal, not exceptional for the people in my team. Cause I know how good it feels and they'll, they will then grow up without, you know, um, they won't have these things in their back of their mind. Well, I really should be working. I really should be on the laptop. You know, I've spent far too much time sitting in the lounge with my kids with the telly on, pretending to try and be with them, but not being present because I'm trying to do work at the same time. And you know, that's just not on because they they take that with them. Sure. Right? This is the problem. Everything I grew up with, I brought with me, and they will take that with them. You know, at some point. My, probably my son and daughter when they have kids 
unless they learn this lesson. They will too be not present when their kids are growing up and they won't realize that until it's too late. And um, for me, I think that's the, you know, we have a responsibility as leaders to create environment. I think it's a huge responsibility that we don't think about. We have, we've got this responsibility to the company and the shareholders. Now you have a responsibility. This is almost like a societal responsibility to this organization and the people in it to, to make them realize that actually, you know, delivering good work and all of those things are outcomes of getting this bit right, which is being a whole human, being one that, you know, as Ricardo Semler, that guy, he wrote a book, he's got a principle which became the title of his second book and it was called The Seven Day Weekend. And he's basically, you know, the premise was, look, you know, in today's world, I'm expected to, you know, as a, as a worker, I, I can easily be expected to spend my Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning or whatever, um, when I should be at home with my kids, you know, writing a report, but I can't then go and take my son to the cinema on a Tuesday afternoon. Right. And to him, that was just like, doesn't make any sense. Why don't we just allow people to do what they want when they want? And of course, everybody thought the guy was nuts and said he would go out of business and said, this won't work here and not in my backyard. And of course it, it hasn't, they become the most successful company in Brazil. He must've, you know, I don't know, I think there's a two-year waiting list to go and visit Semco, to go and hear them see, walk around the place. And, you know, um, and we're, we're still just locked into this, you know, like it's weak. It's like, it's like a weakness. This is it. It's almost like if you're a leader that goes down that path, it's weakness because you're not controlling everything. It's weakness because you're, you're allowing people to surface non-work things and allow it to some emotions you know this goes back you know decades this goes back to you know like like armed forces you know don't show weakness stiff up a lip be strong and and no strength comes from within you know strength comes from you know health and love and happiness and all of those things that's what makes you resilient truly resilient um and i we just need to nurture that as individuals and certainly from my perspective if I could have my time back again, I would make sure I learned that lesson from the beginning because I know actually now that, you know, I went down certain journeys because I felt I had to go down those journeys in pursuit of work and keeping my work and to, to try and, you know, make sure this was whole, but actually that pursuit of that journey was undermining this all the time. And actually what I should have done is I should have put this lot first. And then the world order would have worked around me. I would have gone down another path. I may not have worked in the companies that I worked in, but actually I, I think I would still have I've done fine. I might even done better because I would have been more authentic me. Right. And I would have been a more a richer person because I'd probably still be married or I'd probably, you know, I would have seen more of my children. I would have had a much better internal benchmarking of what actually life was about. Um, and as a result, I think I would have showed up better. I worked hard, you know, I put in a lot of hours and everything else, but I think I could have, I would, you know, if, if I'd have been thinking in a very different mindset, I reckon I'd have showed up even better, right. you know, because I was complete, if you want to use a, a term. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, to some people, this is just going to sound 
you know, soft and fluffy and not important. But, you know, the, the one advantage of leaving the HR profession and, and working in commercial jobs, like running sales teams and uh, running businesses and trying to do turnarounds and things and being in the CEO chair now, yeah, I'm, I'm not the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline. I'm not running one of the Fortune 500. Um, but the advantage of being in the CEO seat versus HR is that it works. I can tell you, it's you know, I, I, I run the business this way, treat my people like humans. I'm interested in them. I want them to put themselves first. Um, you know, it's never a question when someone's got a challenge or an issue, the company's there for them and they must, must put themselves first. They must take downtime if they need it. They, you know, people can take as much time off as they want. I don't care. I don't measure holidays and make sure that people take them. We don't give them allowance on holiday. It's just whatever you make the work pattern. And, you know, I couldn't ask for a better, more motivated, more on-side team who do fantastic work. Right. You know, and I don't see why that can't be done in every company on the, on the planet. I think we'd be a lot better for it. But the question is, do we have the right leaders in place who can embrace that and make it happen? My feeling is that we don't. You know, when, 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 after 120 years, when we go up to heaven, you know, they're not going to go come and ask us, Hey, why didn't you work harder? You know, yeah. the question is going to be, you know, what, what, what impact have you made for your family? You know, why haven't, you know, what, why didn't you live up to your true you personal self, whatever that is. And each person has their own mission, what they need to accomplish and do, but why have you lived not up? Why have you not lived up to that? And the same with I think, like, you know, if you do, I think there's multiple different studies of people going to hospices and old age homes and nursing homes and everything where they ask people, you know, what have you found satisfaction in your life? And, you know, not, I think 99% of it is always about the relationships I have with people. Yeah, totally. My family, my friends, my, my better half, whatever it is. And we have this data and we know this data and we've been talking about it for years and we preach it, but we do nothing with it. Yes, exactly. This is something that we have to change and work on. And like you said, it starts from leaders and down and goes further and further and further um, until it goes like, you know, to to, to the doorman. And I always say, you want to know how, like, this is my personal belief. You want to know how it's like to work at a company? You know, you don't want to know who someone is? See how they treat the janitor. See how they treat the doorman. You know, if they give a pleasant hello, they give something, a, a good word. You know you're in a good place. If it's something like you're, I'm here and you're there, then you know you're doing an egotistical, you know, maniac. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. That is exactly that. How do they treat everybody? What's the perception in the business? And how do those people feel about being there? You know, um, they're, they're the people who do the deliverable at the end of the day. Right. And what do they feel about it? It just people speak volumes when they can. It's incredible. I know, Gareth, this is going to help so many people. Um, I learned a tremendous amount. You know, I, if I, right, I, I feel emotionally charged and emotionally, you know, motivated and also triggered at the same time. You know, like, you know, so it brought out so much of me, you know, but like there's so many things within here. Like, you know, people think that career is just one linear path and if you stay at it and you push at it, you know, I'm going to make it to the top. So first thing we know that it's not, it's full of different pivots. It's full of, you know, insecurities is full of, you know, different types of other emotional distresses and it's ups and downs and you always have to push yourself forward. 
At the same time, don't get lost and caught in that bubble of thinking it's all about the career. No, put your family first. Show up as a human being first. Take care of the people around you. Your career is a secondary thing. And if you put, yes, if you had this part first, then your career also, as long as you put in the right work, it will go, go for it. Another lesson I learned is like, be the pioneer within your organization in order to make it human first. You know, make it a place of human connection. Make it a place that, you know, if you were to get stuck on an island somewhere in Timbuktu, you want your coworker to be there together with you and hang out with them, you know. So I personally want to thank you so, so much. Um, I've learned a tremendous amount. There's no doubt this is going to be beneficial to people that are going through either their own career pivot and pivot or, or leaders that are looking to how to transform the organization after in this whole entire period right now. But this has been absolutely amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. No, you're welcome. It's been great. I loved uh, Mr. Yam. I'd love to talk about this stuff. And um, it's been it's been great to chat. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to share share my uh, thoughts with the world. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Um, thanks for that. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.